before we pray for the next passage of scripture that we're going to be studying in the book of Mark, we want to actually take just a second and remember the last passage that we studied in the book of Mark. If you'll recall, there were a group of people, various individuals who kept coming to Jesus. They needed him, a a desperate mom who was overwhelmed with the sickness of her child, fell down at the feet of Jesus because she knew only Jesus is enough for what I need. She had a demon-possessed daughter. Nobody could help because only Jesus was enough for what she needed. Then we found a a group of desperate friends who were burdened beyond their ability because they couldn't fix what was broken in somebody they loved. So they came to Jesus and fell down before him. And you found that man with the ability out there, the ability to hear. He couldn't speak. He couldn't even articulate his need. He didn't know how to say it, but he finds himself before Jesus. And what we saw last week was this, that even though those people with various needs for various reasons and in various ways found themselves before Jesus, they had one thing in common. They were desperate for the healing power of Jesus. And this morning we gather and we have that in common with them. We're desperate for the healing power of Jesus. And if you'll remember the truth from last week was this, the healing mercy of Jesus is experienced by those who hope only in Jesus and come humbly before Jesus. And so I don't know all of the ways that you're in need of the healing of Jesus. I don't know all the ways that we as a church are in need of the healing of Jesus. I do know this, that Jesus is enough for all that we need. And I actually want to invite you if you're able, and I know this will be hard for some of you who have mobility issues or some of you in the balcony, may, it may be harder for you up there, but I'm wondering, could we, could we get on our knees before Jesus this morning? If you're able, just where you sit, if you would join me, getting on our knees, knowing that the mercy of Jesus is experienced by those who hope only in Jesus and bow humbly before Jesus. Church, would you begin even now praying in that place where you most know that you need Jesus and ask him to heal? For those that you love, who are in need and you can't fix, would you ask Jesus to heal? For who we are as a church family and who you are as an individual, would you ask Jesus to heal?
call out to him for healing power. Father, it was true last week and it is true this morning that you extend mercy to those who hope only in Jesus and come in humility before Jesus. You heal because you are a healer. So Father, I pray that what we would have this morning is the experience, the outpouring of your Holy Spirit's power, the presence of Christ among us to heal and bind up every broken place, to be more than enough for all that we need. Lord, I pray that as we look to you in your word, that it would be your voice that is the clearest voice this morning. And Father, we just confess that unless Jesus builds the house, we would labor in vain to build it. Unless Jesus watches over the city, the watchman will keep watch in vain. Our deepest need, our greatest Desire is Jesus. And we praise you that we don't just need Jesus. We have him. So help us believe, Father. Hoping only in Christ and bowing in humility before him. Help us, Father, believe and help our unbelief today. Speak to us in your word. Give us hearts to believe and obey. Be glorified in your power, in your work in us. And Lord, we ask all of these things in the great and in the glorious name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. Thank you, church. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go to the Next passage of scripture we'll be studying, which is Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. My my varsity basketball coach was a man named Frank Back. And Frank Back was one of the best coaches that I have ever had in my not-so-illustrious athletic he, he had these ways of, of teaching us that made us better individuals and made us a better team collectively. He was just a really good coach. He had phrases that he used over and over again. He would say, fake a pass to make a pass. He would say, ball, you, man. He had this phrase called triple threat. And those phrases may mean nothing to you, but they all have a lot of meaning to me. And they fundamentally taught me things about the game of basketball that I had not really known otherwise. But Coach Back was a really good coach because he didn't just want us to know those things. He, he wanted those things to be ingrained in us in a way that as basketball players, we would do and think those things without having to stop 
and think about them. What he wanted is he wanted those truths to become reflexes in our lives as basketball players. If we needed to make a pass, he didn't want us stopping on the court thinking, what do I need to do to make a pass? He wanted us to automatically remember, I need to fake a pass to make a pass. And the way that he ingrained those things into us about basketball was primarily by using a time-honored method of all great teachers everywhere. That method is repetition. He would repeat over and over again the same phrases. We would do over and over again the same drills. And the repetition developed a reflex Uh, Not for me, I repeatedly filled up the water bottles for the guys who played in the game. But for our, our really good players, they didn't have to stop and think about what to do next. Because what to do next had become a reflex in them as basketball players. And that's actually what we find happening in this next passage of the Gospel of Mark. In our text, what Jesus is doing is he's repeating a lesson that he wants his disciples to learn. And he doesn't want them to just learn it in a way that they would know it. He wants them to learn this truth in a way that it would become a reflex in their life. That no matter what happened and no matter what took place, that their reflex would be this truth. And he's repeating these things to instill that into their lives and ours as well. Let me show you that this passage is really just a repetition of the section that we've been studying over the last month. Let me show you what I mean. Here's the breakdown of the previous section that we've just come through. Jesus miraculously fed 5,000 people. Jesus and his disciples go on a little journey. They take a boat ride together. Jesus has a confrontation with religious hypocrites Jesus and his disciples go on a journey. Jesus heals a man as his display of his power. Do you guys remember any of those things happening? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Well, here's the breakdown. Keep those in mind. Here's the breakdown of the section we'll be in today. Jesus miraculously feeds 4,000 people. Jesus and his disciples go on a journey together. Jesus has a confrontation with religious hypocrites. Jesus and his disciples go on a journey and Jesus heals a man as a display of his power. We'll get to that part next week. You see what he's doing? He's taking his disciples and us on a journey that's a complete repetition of the material that he had just covered in class. Why? Because there's a truth that he wants his people to know. That he wants to be secure deep in our hearts and minds. Something he wants us to have so ingrained into who we are as followers of Jesus. That no matter what happens, we don't have to stop and think about this one. It would be our reflex in every place of life. So let's walk through our text and see the lesson Jesus is teaching us through his followers. Mark chapter eight, verses one through 21 will be our text. Let's start in verse one. It says, in those days when again, a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples and 
to set before the people and they set them before the crowd and they had a few small fish and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And he took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanatha. Stop right there. Okay, this is almost the exact same thing that happened when Jesus fed the 5,000 back in chapter 6. You guys may remember it. You can look it up on your own time. But almost every single component component is exactly the same except the number of people and the number of loaves and, and fish. There's a tired, weary crowd. Jesus has compassion on them. They're in a desolate place. Jesus tells the crowd to sit down. He takes a small amount of food. He blesses it and miraculously makes it enough to not only satisfy everyone there, but he makes it enough to have leftovers When all is said and done, it's like a carbon copy here of the feeding of the 5,000. And since it's a carbon copy, there's something that should jump out at us after Jesus says he wants to feed the crowd. Look at verse four. And his disciples answered him after he says, I want to feed these people. They say, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Hold on just a second. Are these guys serious? Like, like really, Jesus just did this. They're on the front row of the feeding of the 5,000 and they saw with their own eyes that Jesus had the power to provide enough, more than enough for 5,000 people in a desolate place. So when he wants to feed this crowd that has less people in it, you would think that the disciples would respond at least by being somewhat excited Right? Like, I think that they might think, oh man, I think he's going to do it again. Like, like I never thought I'd see him do it again. I, I, thought, I thought that was a one-time deal, and I, I can't wait to watch if I can see closely how his hands make this bread get multiplied. Or at least they would say, hey guys, you're going to all want to gather around really closely. I've seen this one before. You're going to love it. Like, you're going to tell your friends about this for the rest of your life. They don't act like that at all, do they? Like, not at all. There are still these seeds of unbelief that are in their heart. And here's what I mean is, they're they're not unbelievers. They're following Jesus. They're clearly trusting in him in a certain way. They're following what he says, his instructions, his commands for the most part. But here's what I mean. The reflex of their hearts isn't faith yet. It's actually doubt. There are these seeds of unbelief in them that cloud their hearts and minds and cause them to start to doubt. So when they hear something that seems hard to believe or something they can't quite conceive happening, even if it's happened before, they they reflex with doubt. They have these seeds of unbelief, even though they are believers. They have the audacity to literally, when Jesus says, I want to feed this crowd, they say to him, how in the world... Could anyone possibly feed a crowd like this in a place like this? Almost every time that I read that line, I want to find a disciple when I get to heaven. And I want to say, dude, did you guys literally mean that? Like, did you not know what you were saying? 
Like when Jesus said he wanted to do something really amazing, why did you flip out after you just saw him do the exact thing he said he wanted to do? Can you guys imagine being like that? Can you imagine doubting Jesus? Can you imagine thinking that Jesus may not possibly be able to do something he says he wants to do? Can you imagine being like that? I can. Man, I can. I am so often like that. And what does Jesus do? Notice how kind he is. He repeats the miracle. He feeds the crowd. He wants to teach his disciples a lesson. He wants to press something in. That's the whole point that we're going to see. And here's what I want you to do. He's pressing in on the places of unbelief and doubt. So just keep that in mind. Here's what I want you to remember from this section. The seeds of unbelief cause the disciples to doubt Jesus. That's what really stands out. We've seen him do this before. What we haven't seen is people who've seen him do this before. Not believe him and doubt him. Let's keep Reading verse 11 says this, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them and got into the boat again. And went to the other side. Stop right there. Okay, so the religious leaders come again to Jesus. Mark says something that's really revealing about their hearts. He says that they immediately are trying to argue with Jesus. So clearly they don't believe Jesus at all, right? They are not really looking for a sign. They're looking for a fight. Because they don't actually believe Jesus at all. You know what that means? That means whatever started in their heart as a seed of unbelief has now come full grown to complete and total unbelief. They're not like the disciples who believe Jesus and are following Jesus and trust him to a certain extent but are still struggling with unbelief. These guys are just full blown. We don't believe you. We don't believe you no matter what. We just want to argue and fight with you type of unbelief. They have completely rejected Jesus and Jesus knows their hearts. He knows they're hardened by unbelief and they just want to argue. So you know what he does? He doesn't do the miracle. He walks away, leaving them right where they are, gets back in the boat with the disciples. He's willing to strengthen the faith of people who believe him but are struggling with the leftover unbelief or the lingering places of doubt. He doesn't play the game with the Pharisees who are just looking to pick a fight. And notice what happens next. When he gets in the boat and leaves them behind, verse 14, he's with the disciples. Verse 14 says this, Now they'd forgotten to bring bread like baskets full of bread and they forgot to bring bread and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. Do you guys see it happening again? Did you see this? Like it's right here. There's a pattern that's intentionally being repeated. They are hungry. They're short on bread and they're getting worried about it, right? How many people were there in this boat? You have 12 plus Jesus makes what? I was going to show you on my fingers and then I immediately realized I don't have 13 fingers. There are 13 people. I mean, here's what they're thinking. How could anyone possibly make such a small amount of bread enough to feed such a huge crowd of 13 whole people? Do you see what they're doing? Even though they're following Jesus, they're still lingering in these places of unbelief. Their reflex in a time of need isn't faith, 
It's doubt. They don't automatically believe that Jesus is going to provide exactly what they need. No one says, hey guys, I don't mean to sound super spiritual here, but literally it was only three verses ago that Jesus fed 4,000 people with only slightly more bread than we have right here in this boat. And I also remember a time before that he fed 5,000 people with about the same amount of bread. And again, I don't want to be that guy, but there are only 13 of us here. Why don't we just hand the loaf over to Jesus and see what he can do with it? Just a thought. No one does that, right? So listen to what Jesus says next, verse 15. And Jesus cautioned them saying, watch out. He overhears what's going on. He says, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. He overhears them talking about their lack of bread. He recognizes not a single one of them gets it yet. And none of them are reacting with a confident faith in Jesus that he'll supply their need. All of them are just looking around saying, we have no idea what to do now. We don't have enough. We, we are so overwhelmed and under-equipped with all of this. So he, he interrupts them. And he cautions them and he says, guys, watch out, beware. Those words mean about the same thing. It's just a way of emphasizing. Guys, be on guard. Pay really close attention to what's happening right here. And what does he say to be on guard about? He says, the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. What's Jesus talking about? Well, we just talked about the Pharisees and what did we see? We saw the Pharisees were hard-hearted. They weren't just battling seeds of unbelief and doubt. They were actually in a place of complete and total unbelief. Well, what about Herod? Well, a few chapters ago, earlier in the book of Mark, we actually saw the same thing about King Herod. He had John the Baptist as a prisoner, and he actually enjoyed hearing what John had to say, but not because his faith was growing. He just kind of liked the debate until the point came where those unbeliefs that Herod had about the kingdom of God and the message of Jesus, they they grew into full-blown, complete unbelief. So here's what I take Jesus to say, that the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod is a reference to unbelief. And he says leaven of unbelief. Leaven is like yeast. It grows, it spreads, it permeates throughout the whole lump of dough. And that's what's happened to the Pharisees and Herod. Unbelief in their heart, however it may have started, as initially just kind of disregarding Jesus or being skeptical, it had grown and grown and grown in them until it permeated their whole hearts. And what Jesus is telling us and his disciples is this, guys, be on guard for the leaven of unbelief. I'm warning you, beware of unbelief. It's like leaven. It's going to grow. It will expand. If you're not careful, it will permeate your whole heart and even be contagious to the people around you. He says, so keep an eye out for how your hearts may not believe Your hearts may have doubt in them about me. You may not believe everything about me and you can't take that lightly. Don't let that go unchecked. Be on guard, watch out. He knows that the reflex of their hearts 
isn't to be confident in Jesus yet. They still have the old patterns of life before Jesus. They are worriers. They're self-reliant. They're people who try to figure things out before they go to Jesus for what he alone can provide. And Jesus says, I know that about you and I'm warning you, don't let those seeds of unbelief keep you from becoming confident in me. Okay, so there's what he's saying. Let's keep going and read the rest of our text. Verse 16 says this, and they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive and understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, 12. (laughs) And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up, guys? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Guys, Jesus sees that they're blind and they don't get it. So he has to open their eyes to this truth, the thing he wants to be a reflex in their heart. He says, why are you still worried about bread? Do you not remember that I have always in every situation provided everything that you need? Do you not remember that? What did I do with the 5,000? What did I do with the 4,000? Do you not understand the entire point of both of those miracles, guys? What, What didn't they understand? Here's what they didn't understand. Jesus will always provide everything they need. Jesus wants the reflex of their hearts to be faith with confidence in him. Faith that reflexively says, no matter what this is, Jesus will take care of us. No matter what comes our way, Jesus will come through. That's the whole reason he fed the multitudes the way he did. And that gives us our big idea for this morning. Jesus will always provide all that we need. So beware the seeds of unbelief that would make you doubt him. Friend, Jesus will always provide all that we need. Jesus will always provide all that we need, no matter what. That's just the simple truth of the gospel. If you're trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there's never a moment in time when Jesus won't provide exactly what you need. So beware how this morning there may be unbelief in your heart that would make you doubt him. Listen to the word of God from Philippians 4.19. Something we all know pretty well if we've been raised in church. And my God will supply every need. How many of your needs? Do you have any need? What did God just say? But my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. 
If you are trusting in Christ, if you are in Christ and Christ in you, you need to know this. Jesus is God's supply for everything we need in the context of Philippians 4. And don't worry, I'm not going to try and preach that text too. Paul is clearly showing us that Jesus will give us everything we need, even if it isn't everything we want. In that passage, it's all about It's all about hardship and difficulty. He's saying, Jesus is going to give me everything I need, all of it, like strength to face the trials that we don't want, like contentment in the midst of pain, like joy in a place of persecution and confusion. Jesus will supply every need we'll ever have when we trust in him. And what he desires for us as his people is for that to be the reflex to our heart in every circumstance of life. Whatever we face, no matter how overwhelmed we may feel, what Jesus wants for his people is to believe immediately without having to stop and think, Jesus will supply everything I need. And church, I cannot think of a more fitting word for us today. As individuals, as families, as a church, This room, I know, represents a lot of need. Need of healing in our hearts and lives. Need for restoration. Need for strength. Need for peace. Need for joy. Need for hope. Need for power. Need for the ability to take the next step in the journey with Jesus. And we find ourselves at times like the disciples looking around without the slightest clue of how we're going to get the things that we need and do not have. Some of us know we don't have enough bread in our cupboard to meet the hunger in our hearts. Have you ever been there? Well, like the disciples, we may be thinking, how could anyone provide what we need in such a desolate place? What are we going to do? How are we going to make it? What could possibly be the solution to the problem? Well, Listen to the lesson of the loaves. Jesus will always provide everything we need. So beware the seeds of unbelief that would make you doubt him. Jesus will take care of you. Jesus will take care of you. Jesus will take care of you. That is not the question. The question is, will we trust him? What is the reflex of our hearts in the difficult places of life? So what place are you struggling to trust Jesus today? The question is, will you bring it to him? Don't sit alone in a boat wondering, how will this be enough for what I need? Bring it to Jesus. Learn the lesson of the loaves. Jesus will provide all that you need. And as we close, I just want to show you something Jesus does for his disciples that teaches us how we fight against the unbelief that tries to sneak into the places of our heart. Look back at verses 19 and 20. Jesus speaking to them says this, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said 12. When the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said seven. Do you see what he's doing here? When Jesus wants to help them not only see their unbelief, but fight for faith, what does he do? He reminds them of what he's already done. 
He says, listen, I know you don't know what's coming next, but why don't you just stop for a minute and remind yourselves of what I've already done. Guys, don't forget what I've already done. Don't forget how I've always come through. Don't forget that I have an unblemished record of faithfulness for all of my people that literally stretches back to the very beginning of time. Look back and remember what I've done. That's how you'll step forward in faith that I'll do it again. Listen, friend, we can move forward with confidence in Jesus when we stop to remember what he's already done. And the greatest thing that Jesus has already done to supply our greatest need is the work he accomplished at his cross and at the empty tomb. Jesus sacrificed his own life He endured the punishment of God. He suffered in your place so he could meet your deepest need to to give you forgiveness of sin and restoration with God as your father. And the question is, if Jesus went that far, leaving the glory of heaven to enter the manger of Bethlehem to go to the cross of Calvary and lay in a tomb as a dead man to emerge victorious three days later. If Jesus went that far to supply the great need you had, do you really think he'll let you down now? Listen to Romans 8, 31 and 32. It says this, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Do you see what Paul is doing here? He's doing the same thing that Jesus is doing. When he's trying to encourage these Roman believers, he says, listen, if God didn't spare his own son to supply your deepest need, How will he not also along with Jesus give you everything else you need? So whatever that great place of need is, wherever your heart may be anxious or fearful about the future, wherever unbelief is triggering doubt about what happens in your life, what happens in your journey, what do we do? What do we do? We fight unbelief. By looking back at what he's already done so we can step forward in faith that he will do it again. As you sit in the place of great need, would you stop and look to the cross and the empty tomb and by faith remember Jesus has already met your greatest need and you can trust him For whatever you might need today, he is faithful, he is strong, he is good, he will not let you down. He will always provide all that you need, no matter what. And may it be the reflex of our heart in every circumstance of life. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Maybe you've come today without knowing the provision of your greatest need, which is the forgiveness of your sin and restoration with God.
If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus this morning, I want to encourage you, even right now, in a humble spirit of prayer before God, just acknowledge your sin that you've broken. The commands of God, and as a result of your sin, you've broken your relationship with God. But would you confess that you would believe that Jesus came to earth and lived the life you failed to live and died the death you should have died and rose again three days later to restore you to God? Would you, would you confess by faith that you believe that? That you're trusting in Jesus to meet your greatest need? Just call out even right now, Father, forgive my sin. I'm trusting in Jesus, not myself and my work, but the work Jesus did at the cross. Claim by faith the promise that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For those of you who are trusting in Jesus and say, I, I believe, but I struggle at times with unbelief. Would you bring that right now before the Lord? Say, here's the place of need and I'm struggling. I'm tempted to doubt. Maybe in your family, maybe at your work, maybe in your community, maybe in any place of your life. You would say, Jesus, I need you to work. Fill me with faith to believe you'll provide everything I need. Father, we thank you that you have given us the greatest display of your commitment to meet our every need. The cross of Christ stands as a reminder for us, Lord, that you did not spare your own son. You gave him up for us to meet the deepest need of every man, woman, and child. How would you give Jesus and not give us everything else that we need in Jesus? So I pray, Lord, that you'd strengthen our hearts and you fill us with faith to believe that Christ, our Lord and mighty God, is at work in and around and through us, healing broken places, restoring the spots of hurt and pain and providing at every moment everything we need by his grace for his glory. Fill us with faith to believe in Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.